Can we just lift our hands all over this building? He's poured his love out on us. Can we pour our love out on him? God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness, God. so longer could we just just lean into this his love is here today thank you Jesus thank you for your love God thank you for your mercy God children, I am here. Do not fear what goes out in the world. I have put plans in place. They are in motion right now. Just trust me. Believe me. Stand on my promises. I am coming soon, and I will judge this earth, and I will bring my church home. I love you. Amen. Can we thank him for that word today? Thank you for that word today, Lord. Thank you for that word, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. This is maybe your first time in a setting like this, and um, there's been some things that have taken place today that have been abnormal to maybe what you're accustomed to. I assure you that everything that we are doing is biblical. The way in which we worship and how we express our praise to God is all uh, very biblical. But what you just heard um, is outlined in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where Paul is talking to the church about spiritual gifts that the Lord has for his church. And he has the gifts of faith and miracles and healings, and we believe in those things. We, we saw uh, miracles take place last week, Sunday. Uh, Jim couldn't raise his arms because he had rotator cuff pain, and, and that pain is, has been taken away. We thank God for that. But, but also there's a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge and prophecy. Uh, but there's, there's the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues, and that's what you just heard today. And I can imagine, if this is the first time you've heard something like this, it, it maybe seems a little abnormal, but this is, this is the way, one of the ways in which the Lord speaks collectively to his church. He, he of course, speaks through his word. He speaks through the man of God. But, but this is his direct line. Is he, 
speaks through some where they would give a tongue. Scripture says no more than two or three, and then there's an interpretation. So anytime that that happens, that's a special service for us because that means that the king of the universe wanted to come down into this place and speak directly to his people. Can you just clap your hands into the Lord once again and thank him for what he said? Amen. Thank you, worship team. I, uh, not, not all Sundays are created equal, um, although I, I think Sunday is, is the best day of the week. And there's no other place I'd be, rather be than, than in the house of God with all of you. Um, but this, this Sunday is especially special um, because today is our bishop's birthday. And we love our bishop so very much. 27 years ago, longer, he had a, a vision from God to start a church in New Berlin. And when, when some might have uh, listened and, and like Jonah ran in the opposite direction, he ran towards it. And it wasn't easy. There was a lot of sacrifice. And so anytime we get an opportunity to honor this great man of God, we want to take it. And so if you wouldn't mind just coming forward, we have a small gift of appreciation for you and just want to let you know that you are very much loved. We appreciate you. Amen. Bishop has some hobbies, and uh, we, we want to make sure that he does those hobbies more and more. And so we gave him, we gave him um, some ammunition to help with those hobbies and, um, uh, on both the golf course and at the, the gun range. And so we love you very much and uh, appreciate you. If you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to Acts chapter 13, I would echo the sentiment of Pastor Eric. Um, we say that we are better together as a church. And uh, we believe in this church that everyone has a place, everyone has a purpose. And uh, if you're here and, and kind of maybe wondering what your purpose is, um, talk to us. And, and we would love, uh, we have definitely areas in the church that you could serve in, and especially in, in the nursery. Uh, if, if, now, there, there is a bubbler at our church that we talk about that you don't want to drink out of. Um, but, but maybe if you're past that and you just want to love on children, the nursery is the right place for you. And if you would help us out with that, we would greatly appreciate that. Um, if you have no idea about the bubblers, it's, it's, it's a whole thing. Just ask, ask one of the, the, the mothers that has the little toddlers which one, and she'll tell you which one to avoid. Amen. Acts 13, verse 22. Uh, I think you might be familiar with this passage of Scripture. If not... Um, then you're going to be today. It says this, And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom he also gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. So for the last four weeks, we've been asking the question, what, what does it look like to be a man or a woman after the heart of God? And we've looked through a couple attributes of David. David's life is really layers. And as we started peeling back layers, we noticed that it wasn't really a singular moment that made this true, but it was really the sum total of the way in which he lived his life that made him a man after God's heart. We talked about how he was consistently humble, how he continually prayed, how he courageously led. And the last time we were together, we talked about how he was a man who completely, fully worshiped. And today I want to uh, speak from this thought that David 
was a man after God's own heart because he compassionately served. He compassionately served. Amen. Would you set your Bibles down and would you just lift your hands uh, all across this building? Let's just ask God to minister to us in these next few moments so that we could be attentive to what he wants to say. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your power. Thank you for what you're doing and what you have done. I pray that you just touch the rest of this service, Lord God. I pray my voice would be the amplifier of heaven, that you would anoint me, God, to speak what you would have me to say. Lord, any any hindrance or any distraction, Lord, that would try to show up in this place today, we, we, we rebuke it in the name of Jesus. And we pray that your presence and your power would open our ears so that we can hear what you want to say. We love you in the name of Jesus, we pray. Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and give him just the greatest, most sincere smile followed with a compliment and just tell him something so, uh, so extraordinary about themselves that they did not know. And you may be seated. Words matter. And, and based off of what some of you just said to the other person, they could tell if you were Fibbin McGee or if you were sincere about what you said. Have you ever been in a situation where you've said something and as soon as the words came out of your mouth, you realized that the word choice was not the right word that you wanted? I was there. Words matter, especially when it comes to the scriptures and how we read them. Because nothing written in the word of God is by chance or by accident. Every word is deliberate. Every verse is carefully crafted. Every chapter provides greater depth and revelation to those that are willing to search. See, see, the riches are always to those who are willing to search, to search it out. And that's certainly the case in our opening text. Paul is in Antioch, and he's there on the Sabbath day, and he receives an invitation to preach. Now, uh, if you don't know this, understand this about Paul. Paul is a very learned Jew. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He practiced under the strict Pharisaical customs, and he had a strong command of the Jewish law and history. And as he begins to preach, this is something that as we see sermons in the book of Acts, we notice they'll do a lot of. He, he understands his audience. And, and because he knows his audience, he begins to draw back from a place of commonality, history, the law. And, and he, he weaves this beautiful story to bring them to Jesus. <clears throat> and so he talks about how the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. And because of the mighty hand of God, they were delivered, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> they were delivered and they were in the wilderness for 40 years because of their mistakes, because of their inability to listen to God. And then, and then God parts the, the sea and, and, and they walk through into the promised land. And in the promised land, God gives them Joshua and they, they, they get territory and God raises up for them judges. And eventually they get to a place where they look around at everyone else and they say, we want a king. It's great what God is doing, but we want to be like everybody else. Understand, that, that, is, that is the worst sentiment and statement we can make as the church. Where we look around 
uh, outside of the church and where we look around inside of the church and we desire to be like somebody else. Here's the beauty of it. God has made you fearfully and wonderfully made. He has an innate purpose and plan for your life. Nobody else. You're one in a billion. Uh, There's no one else like you. There's no one else who can do what you do. And there's no one else that can accomplish the purpose that he has put within within you. And, And so God raises up for them Saul, and it's a failed kingship. And then he gets to David. And, and, and Paul begins to remind them of David, that he was a man after God's own heart. But more important than that, that's not the point of the sermon. The, the, the point of the sermon is to let him know that this man who you esteemed in the royal bloodline of him would come a savior, Jesus. And, and, and Paul begins to let them know that, that everything in the Old Testament, everything we see in the Old Testament, every story, every, every moment in history pointed to Jesus. It, it all is about Jesus, brothers and sisters. We've, we've come thousands of years, and, and today it hasn't changed. They looked forward to the day. We look back at the day. And, and everything we do in this church, everything we say, every song we sing, every, every sentiment we say, it is all to be done in the name of Jesus. He said, whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But later in his message, Paul reverts back to David and his impact over his generation. Now, now I, I suppose uh, Paul could have said a number of things about David's influence and impact over his generation. Certainly his audience knew a lot about David, that they held him at a very high level of esteem. Paul could have said that that David led his generation because he, he did this. He did this faithfully and obediently. But that's not what he said. He could have said he was one of the most successful kings in Israel who reigned fearlessly over a generation, which again would have been accurate But he didn't say that. He could have said David fought bravely for a generation. He he killed giants. He he killed tens of thousands. He did all of this to to conquer the enemies that would come against the Lord. And it would have resonated with his audience. But he didn't say that. Instead, Paul says this in verse 36. He said, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep. The greatest attribute worth mentioning was that David faithfully served his generation. That the greatest thing that Paul could reach back and say about David was that he served a generation. That this shouldn't surprise us because this seems to be the common theme of this series. God God doesn't define success as you and I define success. And God certainly does not define people the way you and I do. We can only see the exterior. And and I and you can deceive each other. And we can look at each other and we can put everything together and make it look like we have everything going on. But God is not convinced by by, by the beautiful pressed shirt and the the tie and and the sport coat. He, He... He sees the heart. God doesn't see things the way you and I do. David was defined as a man after God's own heart because he did the will of God by serving his own generation. I've come to learn in the kingdom of God, it's not always what we do that defines us, 
but rather how we do it. Understand what I'm saying. Actions, actions are important, but the attitude, the motivation, the intention behind those actions are equally as important. David accomplished a lot, but it was how he did it as a servant that people would talk about a thousand years later. I'm sure they talked about the giant. I'm sure they talked about uh, when he brought the Ark of the Covenant in. I'm sure they talked about all the highlights. But at the core of who David was, was a servant. A life devoted to service for God. And, and this, my friends, is the paradox of the kingdom of God. Jesus taught about this. It, it, it really flies in the face of Western thinking. Jesus did this when he came on the earth. He turned man's philosophies and ideologies on their head, and he would teach things like this. He would say, if you want to save your life, you first have to lose it. If you want to be exalted or promoted, you first have to be humbled or lowered. Well, wait, that's, that's not the way my job taught me advancement takes place. And Jesus said, no, it's, it's countercultural. He said, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, oh, I want to be the greatest. He said, then you have to be the least. If you want to be the first, oh, yeah, please. Yeah, especially on those Sundays where we have the food and the fellowship hall. I want to be the first. I want to get first dibs on all the meatballs and Rice Krispie treats. He said, well, if you want to be the first, then you have to be comfortable being the last. And I don't think it's supposed to make sense in our thinking because we don't, we don't look at things that way. But yet Jesus said, if, if this is what you want, this is what it looks like. Jesus said this in Matthew, or Mark rather 10 and 43. He said, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first among you must be the slave of everyone else. You see, the greatest in the kingdom are the servants. The, the leaders in the kingdom are the slaves. They're the ones who aren't afraid to roll up their sleeves. They're, they're the ones who, who aren't afraid to work faithfully and tireless in obscurity. They're the ones whose names you don't know and whose faces you wouldn't recognize. I, I'm convinced we're going to get to heaven someday and we're going to look at the people who, who God is going to load all the praise on it and we're going to say, what did you do? What did you lead? Well, where did you preach? And they're going to say, nobody knew me. Because what I did, nobody knew. It's those whose constant focus is on others instead of on themselves. Those are the ones that God looks at. Those are the heroes of heaven. Those who are the servants of others. Servant. Yeah. Just, just even, I'm sure you hearing it, slave. We don't, we don't like hearing that word. Don't, don't, don't call me a servant. Don't call me a slave. But yet, that's what God is looking for. And David was one of them. When looking at David's life, we're going we're gonna to just extrapolate two things today. We, we learn two valuable lessons. The, the first is this. and You may want to write this down. You never outgrow servanthood. You never outgrow servanthood. It was near the end of David's reign, and he considered and desired to build a house for the Lord. He talks with Nathan the prophet and expresses what's in his heart. And Nathan says, do everything that's in your heart to do. But then Nathan falls asleep. 
And, and, and in the, the, the nighttime, the Lord visits Nathan and he expresses to him because of the bloodshed that David had exacted, it would not be his house. It would not be him, rather, that would build a house for the Lord, but someone within his house. So Nathan is instructed to go and deliver this news to David. And God tells Nathan this in 2 Samuel 7 and verse 5. He said, go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, will you build a house for me to dwell in? Verse 8, now therefore thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. Ultimately, God's message to David is no, but what's more important than the message is the way in which God refers to David. Here's David. David is established. David is the most powerful man in Israel. David is a master of many and a slave to none. And the Lord says to Nathan, go tell my servant, David. Let my servant know. He hasn't gotten too high that he doesn't still do my bidding. Yeah, he's esteemed in your eyes, but what you don't realize is he doesn't make a decision unless I allow him to make that decision. Amen. So go tell my servant, Nathan, no. Nathan, I'm sure, may be trembling after he realizes that two times he has to tell David, you're still a servant. David hears this, and David responds. In verse 18, he said, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said to him, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet, this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord. And you have spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Now what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. The Lord says to David two times, you're my servant. David replies ten times, I'm your servant. David did not forget who he was. With every advancement, with every win, with every victory, with every good thing that happened, David still understood the alignment between him and God. You are still my master, and I am still your servant. You still tell me where to go, and I still follow you, because I am not a master of you, Lord. I am only your servant. Today we live in a generation that caters to being served. Organizations and businesses extensively train their staff to perfect the art of service. That's why I love going to Chick-fil-A. My girls get embarrassed every time I go there because it is always my goal to see how many times I can get them to say my pleasure. And so every, everything they do, I thank them for. Is this your order? Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. Would you like fries? Yes, thank you. My pleasure. Here's your straws. Thank you. My pleasure. I think, I think the over-under is maybe five or six. Until next time. Until next time. We have market research that is conducted to ensure products and services meet and serve your every need. No, nowhere was clearer than this when Angie and I, uh, about six, seven years ago, went on a vacation to Mexico. And we went into our room, and, and, and the person who escorted us in said, uh, Mr. Meyer, if I could just show you the menu. And I thought, oh, okay, cool, I like food. And he said, no, sir, this is the pillow menu. Come again? Uh, usually I just take the one that's on the bed. No, sir. No, we have every ergonomical shape uh, pillow that you want. Market research that says we want you to have it your way. If you want it, we're going to give it to you. It's our pleasure. And as a result, we've created a culture of consumers 
We've created a group of people. The U.S. is the number one consumer-driven country in the world. Filled with consumers that say, no, but you said in your commercial, I can have it my way. And sadly what happens is we take that consumer mentality to God. And we think somehow that it's his job to serve our needs. That that somehow when I come to church on Sunday and I come down to the altar and say, this is what I want, that he has to say, okay, here's your order number 11. Just go and sit off in the distance and I hope you enjoy the music. And when you're done, you're going to have your miracle. No, no. God doesn't serve us. We serve him. It's not his job to meet every need of ours, even though he will. It's our job to meet his needs. Paul would say it this way, Colossians 1 and 16, he said, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things, listen to this last part, all things were created through him and for him. But what are you talking about? I thought this was for me. No, it's for him. All things were created by him. And as, let me just, just go out on a limb and say this. As the creator, the creator gets to tell you the intent of the creation. The creation doesn't get to say, wait, I thought you made me a boy, but really I'm a girl. Or you made me this and really I'm that. No, the creator does not make mistakes. And so when the creator makes the created, he said, this is your intent. This is your purpose. This is my plan. This is the way in which it's supposed to be. You don't get to decide. But you don't understand, culture has changed, but the creator has not changed. I don't care what some expert says. I don't care what some deceived philosopher says. The creator has the final word when it comes to how the created is to function and to operate. Because all things were created by him and for him. So that means you were created for him. That means when he taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, this is my plan for your life, you don't get the right to say, no, it's my life. I'm going to do with it as I want. He'll say, okay, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. But it can be better if you would align with my purpose and my plan. And that's why there are so many people that feel like they're beating their head against the wall and they feel so lost and they feel so empty and they feel so confused because they are not living the intent and the purpose of what the Creator has intentionally designed for their lives. Understand this. We say this to our leadership, and I say this to you it's not about you. We don't come to church and say, here I am. What do you have for me today? Give me something good. I want the best stuff. Not too hot, not too cold. I like it just, you know. No, no, it's not about you. Church is the only organization that exists for its non-believers, for the non-members. The church is not for you. It's for those who are out there. The hospital is for the sick. It's not for the medical staff. It's for those who need a doctor, those who are, are, are sick and understanding. I, I need someone to help me. And that's what the church is for. So it's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about him. And so we'll forever be a servant. And David understood that. David was a servant of the Lord, which meant a couple things. Let me just share three. It, it means, number one, that he faithfully served the will of God. And I, I know I've already covered a little bit of this, but let me just move through it. He said this in Psalms 40 and verse 8. He said, I delight 
to do your will. He, he said it's a pleasure to do your will. I, I don't resist doing it. I actually delight in it. When I'm in a moment with you, God, and you say, David, this is what I want for you, I get so happy that you have a next step for me. David's first priority was not the people. It was the will of God. David's first priority was not the position. It was the will of God. Because here's the the idea. When you do the will of God, you're going to help people because people is a part of God's will. Walking in purpose is a part of God's will. Pursuing after relationship is a part of God's will. And that's what, what, what Paul would say about David. He would say, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. That, that's what I want God to be able to look at me and say. There, there's David. He'll do everything I ask him to do. Well, that means you're just a puppet. Fine. I have my free will, but I give it back to him. And I say, not my will, but thy will be done. Not what I want, but what you want. I want you to say the same thing, that when you come into the house of God and he says, I want you to do this, that you don't resist it. You don't, you don't say, well, you don't understand. God understands. He knows your background very well. He knows what's in your past. But yet he chooses to use you anyway. And so what is it up to us to resist what he wants to do in our life? He, so David faithfully served the will of God. But next we see that he faithfully served in the house of God. The psalmist would say this in Psalms 84 and 10. He said, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. He said, one day in the house of God is better than a thousand someplace else. And then he said this, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wickedness. He he said, I'd rather be at the door. I'd, I'd rather be on the farthest place I, you know, I, I'd love to be in the holy place. I, I'd love to be where the Ark of the Covenant is. I'd, I'd love to be where the manifest presence of God is. But if I can only stand at the door, I'd rather stand at the door and welcome people in than to dwell in the tents of the wickedness. That this was considered one of the most menial or lowly positions, one reserved for a common Levite. And for the king of Israel, this would be far beneath him. And David said, I'd rather be there than any place else. I love the house of the Lord so much. He said, as a matter of fact, David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. He, he wasn't begrudgingly about the house of the Lord. He, wasn't, he, he didn't dig his heels in and say, oh, I was out late Saturday night. He said, no, anytime there was an invitation, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And today, I would rather clean toilets in the house of God than live for the world. I've been blessed to grow up in this my whole life. This is all I know. I don't know anything else. And I never had a moment where I wanted to experience with anything else. This is all I've known, and this is all I desire. When mom and dad started the church 27 years ago, we did it all. We, we set up, we tore down, we cleaned up, we stayed up late, we got up early. And I still today say, I'd rather do anything. You, you pick the most menial, most mundane task. I, I've done it all. Seriously, I, I've taught. I've run sound. I, I've, I've sung. Not very good, but I, I led worship for a season. There's some videos out there you can get. You know, don't, don't actually ask for them. I, I played the drums. I, I've, I've got up and did prayer and offering. I, I've led small groups. I, I've taught Sunday school. I took the trash out. I, I set up and tore down. I got stung by a bee doing it, too. Remember that? Uh, I still haven't forgotten. Um, but, but I would rather do the most menial, mundane task than to do anything else. 
There's nothing you can offer me to take me away from the house of God. There's nothing else that can catch my gaze more that would take me away from working and serving in the house of the Lord. That's what God wants. You see, the church is the vehicle. I know some people get uncomfortable when we start talking about the church and they say, the church is, is the body, it's not the building. I get that, but this is where the body assembles. And I get that you can go to, to the Jimenez house and, and the church is there. I get that. That you can go to the Kelly house and, and the church is there. Wherever you go, the church goes. But this is where we assemble together. This is where we come for a pep rally. This is where we come to get enthused with, with power and, and to get our mission and to understand our marching orders. And, and, and we get the opportunity to be a participant of what takes place at the church. He, he, he says, don't just spectate, participate. Don't, oh, I just appreciate the church. He said, don't just appreciate it. Participate it. Well, I just like to congregate. Don't just congregate. Participate. Well, I just love to celebrate and contemplate and delegate and advocate. <laughs> but participate, not so much. That's why I like to delegate, right? I see the trash and I see Jim and I see Jim can take the trash. And Jim, David said, I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather serve at the door. I'd rather be there to, to let people in and say, how you doing? I'd rather hold those signs that say, you look good today. And I'd rather shave, take my hand out and say, it's so nice to see you than to serve in the world, to serve for myself, to be in the tents of wickedness. David understood this also meant the third thing, that he faithfully served with joy. This shouldn't have to be said, but it needs to be said because sometimes I've seen some of the most grumpy people serving in the house of God. I'm here, you know, you're welcome. <laughs> David showed where we are to serve him, but then he shared how we are to serve him. He said, serve the Lord with gladness. Right, right. You know, we as the people of God should be the most happy people. I'm, I'm not talking about fake happiness. I'm not talking about faux happiness and, and you just smile in their faces and then you turn around and grumble under your breath. I'm talking, we should really be glad. All the things we just sang in those past four songs about the goodness of God, how he pours things out on us. I tell you what, there is not something that can go so bad in my day that I cannot still be glad for the gifts and the grace and the mercy and the love and the benefits of God. He didn't say serve the Lord reluctantly. He didn't say serve the Lord out of guilt or serve him because it's an obligation or, or serve him because the pastor keeps making announcements. And when he does it, he, he suspiciously looks right at you when he says those words. And I know he sees it. Yeah. No, he said serve the Lord with gladness. Amen. See, I don't have to serve the Lord. I get to serve the Lord. I don't have to come to church on Sunday. I get to come to church on Sunday. This isn't, this isn't a burden that I have to bear. This isn't a cross that I have to carry. No, this is, this is my, my reasonable service. This is the very basic and very minimal thing that I can do because of how great he's been for me. Man, no place I'd rather be. The last two Sundays we've had people healed. There's no place I'd rather be. Last service, we had people refilled with the gift, gift of the Holy Ghost. There's no place I'd rather be. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house, Lord. But, but a part of not growing out of servanthood, we see something, if we, if we drill down a little bit further into David's life, 
is that he faithfully served the needs of others. It's clear within David's life that he served others. We first see, and I'll run through this quick, but we see that he served and submitted to the needs of those in authority over him. And Pastor Bishop, rather, did such a great job. If you haven't listened the last two Wednesdays, he taught on submission. It's, it's incredible, impactful teaching. I, I would implore you to go out and listen to it. But, but it's, it's hard to, to think about David and his relationship with Saul and not understand here's a man who served and submitted to God's authority. When we look or when we talk about gross misuse and abuse of power, you don't have to really look any further than King Saul. You may not understand all the things that Saul did, but let me just give you a couple. Saul threw spears at David out of jealousy for his anointing. Saul made promises to David and then broke them. Saul fiercely and relentlessly hunted David like a dog and tried to kill him. Saul manipulated situations to put David in harm's way. Saul spread false accusations against David and allied with their enemies to try to kill David. Okay, so you, you might have had it bad, but I don't know if any of us can say that we have somebody that's been trying to hunt us down. And, you know, except back when there was Blockbuster or the library and we had an overdue book, right? And they showed up at your house, like, give it that book back. And all of this, notice what David didn't do. Nowhere in Scripture, and I looked, Nowhere in Scripture do we ever find David speaking ill of King Saul. Nowhere does he ever say, that man is a jerk. And, and I, let me tell you, the thi- and he had every right to speak out because of the injustice that was coming to him. But never once did David open his mouth against King Saul. He never retaliated or fought back against Saul. He, he never desired to get even with King Saul. But he honored Saul. Even when he was hated, he respected him and showed loyalty to him, even when Saul was out of the will of God. When David had an opportunity, when he was standing over Saul in a cave, and Saul was on his way to kill David, and there David is, and David's men are saying, just kill him, be done with it. You're the anointed king. We'll, we'll bind together with you, and we'll let everybody know that it was something else. Kill him. David said to them, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. As a matter of fact, when the Amalekites came, here's Saul. Saul essentially commits suicide. He he falls on his spear because he realizes that the Amalekites are coming against them. An enemy he should have killed a long time ago, but failed to do. And and here comes a servant of the Amalekites and sees the king, and and he says, listen, I'm, I'm about gone. Just finish me off. And the soldier kills him and comes to David with good news. The man who's been chasing you like a dog is dead. And he said, how do you know? He said, because I killed him. And David said, you are willing to touch the anointed? You think David would have been happy? You would think David would have had joy in his heart? But David said, let the same thing happen to this man who would would just nonchalantly lay a hand on the man of God. Kill him. Then Ishbosheth rose up and Ishbosheth, Saul's son, comes against David. And some of David's men kill Ishbosheth. And they come to David and they say, hey, good news. We killed the man. And he said, you think this is good news? We don't touch the anointed. We don't t- when we come against God's anointed, we are coming against God himself. Let the same thing happen to you that happened to those servants. David honored the man of God, even when the man of God was wrong. 
Understand, and I say this as the pastor of this church, everything I say behind this pulpit, everything I say in counseling sessions, everything I say in moments where maybe my flesh comes out, I will give account to God for it. And so I hope you understand that when I open my mouth, I try to measure my words because I know that I will give an account before the Lord for the things I say. I don't want to just write off of emotionalism. I want the word of God to be preached in this church. But just like I will be judged for what I say, you will be judged for what you said. It was Miriam that that willingly would raise her voice against Moses, and the Lord struck her with leprosy, and the whole congregation ceased to move forward. Let us not feel, and this is not, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back or set myself up or say I'm here and you're there, but there is a divine order that God has put in place. And all my life it has been my desire to be submitted to men and women that are in authority over me. And today I have not risen so high that I still don't have people that I am submitted to. Every one of us needs people in our life that have veto authority. David was a man that submitted and served the authority. But, but here, here's the last point. David also served the needs of those who had no authority over him. No clearer picture do we get of this than David's interaction with Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. After Saul and Jonathan died, David mourned and grieved for them. And he settled into Jerusalem. He kicked out the Jebusites. We talked about that. He brought the Ark of the Covenant back and we talked about that. And then he desired to build a temple and the Lord said no and we've talked about that. But then David says... I want to show honor to the house of Saul. You're talking about the very house that did everything in their power to come against you. You mean the house that sought to kill you. You mean the house that brought nothing but trouble to you. David said this in 2 Samuel 9 and 3. Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I might show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Mephibosheth, if you read the story, Mephibosheth, at a very young age, when the news comes out that Saul and Jonathan are killed, the nurse is rushing to flee. And as she runs in her haste, she drops Mephibosheth. And because of the injury he sustains, he's now lame, unable to do what others can do. And he's hiding Because it's common practice when a new king comes into town that they look at the old king's house and they kill everyone. Solomon did this to Adonijah. Basha did this to Jeroboam. Jehu did this to Ahab. It's common practice in those days that when a new king would rise up, that to ensure that there was no threat to their kingship, they would just kill everybody. And here's Mephibosheth, I'm sure, fearing his life. And David says, Is there not someone that I can show kindness to? Verse 7, when he meets Mephibosheth, David right away understands what Mephibosheth must be thinking, and he says, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. So Mephibosheth, verse 13, dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table. David served this man by restoring everything that was his father's, grandfather's. He restores the land that belonged to them, the wealth that belonged to them. And David is serving somebody that can do nothing for him in return. This is what 
it looks like to serve without conditions. I found that it's easy to serve someone that has the ability to do something for you in return. It's easy to serve someone who has the power and the influence to grant you your request. It's easy to serve those who can reciprocate and reward us for our service. However, it's something completely different to serve somebody that cannot offer you anything in return. To be the hands and feet of Jesus to somebody that that can't do anything to repay you back. Somebody that even maybe doesn't have the words to express the gratitude in their heart. This is what it looks like to serve the least of these. This is what it looks like to serve the poor and the widow. This is what it looks like to serve the hurting and the broken. It said... In the last days, Jesus is going to come and he's going to say, I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was in prison and you didn't visit me. And he said, people are going to say, when? Not once do we remember you being hungry or thirsty or in prison or naked. And Jesus will look at them and he'll say, whatever you did for the least of these, my brethren, you did for me. Jesus said, whatever you did for those who couldn't repay you, whatever you did for those who couldn't return it to you, whatever you did for those who were in a bad position, who were without the means, who were homeless, who were broken down, in the moment you reach out and you serve them, not only are you serving them, but you're serving God. I pray we don't move so fast as a church that we miss the moments My prayer is that every day when I go out of my house, I'm not in such a a mood where I'm so focused on the task that I miss the people. I don't get so busy among my day that I I miss people who are in the grocery store. I I know it's great. Brother Lambro has been in the hospital and and he's been sick. And we got news a couple days ago that he prayed his, his nurse through to the Holy Ghost. And we thank God for that. And we, we love stories like that. And I love stories like that, hearing about people who connected to the gospel. But what about the people who just need a little bit of help? The, the people who are in a, a situation and just need an ear to listen. Yeah, yeah, they eventually need the gospel. Yeah, they eventually need the saving message of Jesus. Yeah, they need the Holy Ghost and they need to be baptized. But maybe right now they just need a friend. Maybe right now they just need a warm meal. Maybe right now they just need somebody that can look outside themselves and say, I see you, and we're going to help you. Jesus said, never are you more serving me than when you reach for those who can't help. David said to Mephibosheth, not only am I returning and restoring everything to you, but you're going to eat at the king's table. Uh, understand the king's table was, was something that only high officials and delegates got the privilege to do. It was the powerful. It was those who had influence and authority. Certainly not someone who's lame. Certainly not someone who is a has-been. David said, no, you're, you're going to sit at my table. What am I trying to say? This church is open for anyone who needs Jesus. Jesus. 
They may not look like us. They may not behave like us. They may not act like us. They may be confused in their mind, and they may be hurt in their heart. But wherever they are, no matter how far they are from God, there is a seat at this church for you. There is a seat in this house for you. No matter where you've gone, no matter if you've walked away from God and created a mess when you left, there is a seat in this church for you. Would you stand all over the place with me? The table is, is a very interesting place within Scripture. As you read passages that mention the table, it quickly becomes clear that the table represents a place of communion, a place of celebration. It's a place of provision and a place of consumption, a place of fellowship and a place of relationship. It was at a table that the disciples would gather around with Jesus one final time. Many, I'm sure, had used the towel to wipe their face as a tool for self. Many had the towel on their lap because it was proper etiquette when you sat at the table. But then Jesus rose and did something that caught every one of them by surprise. He excused himself from the table and he grabbed the towel and he began to use it in a way that only the lowest of servants would use it. He bent down with a bowl of water, began to wash his disciples' feet. And Peter had an issue with that. Lord, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I'm not going to wash your feet, I, I'll have no part with you. And then he said, Lord, not, not just my feet, my hands, my head. After Jesus performed this menial task, creator of the world, the, the king of kings, God manifest in flesh. He concluded and he looked at each of them and he said, I've given you an example that you should do what I just did. He, he said, what, what I did was not just a moment. What I did is not just a memory, but what I did is a lesson. Because if you saw me do it, then when you go and interact with other people, you're to do the exact same thing. I pray that we never get so comfortable at the table that we forget what the towel is for. I pray that this church doesn't get so comfortable with consumerism and being fed that we forget that we're called to serve. That there's nothing beneath us. There's nothing off limits. There's nothing I can say I can't do. Scripture says on the day we stand before him, he's going to look at us and there'll be one of two things he'll say. Either depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. Or he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. He's not going to say, well done, good and faithful master. He's not going to say, well done, good and faithful pastor. He's not going to say, well done, good and faithful teacher or Bible study teacher. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Can we just lift our hands in this place? pray that God would give us a fresh burden today 
to understand our purpose and our role in the kingdom. It's not to be served, but it's to serve. See, if you want to be a man after God's own heart, if you want to be a woman after God's own heart, you're going to have to become comfortable serving. Lord Jesus, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice. Lord, I thank you for what you modeled before your disciples. A testimony, Lord, to hearers thousands of years later. God, it's our desire in this church that we would, Lord, pick up the towel, not just simply to wipe our face, not just simply to dry our hands, but Lord, to use it as an instrument to help and to serve others. God, as you said earlier today, you are coming back soon. And so I pray that you would find us busy serving in the field. I open this altar up to you today. If you'd like to come down, let this be a moment where you just recenter your priorities. Let this be an opportunity for you to open yourself up to God today and say, Lord, if there's a place in me where I've become too consumer-driven, would you reveal to me so that, Lord, that I can get back in right standing with you? God, I want to serve faithfully your will. I want to serve faithfully in the house of God. But I'm going to serve with gladness. Lord, your, your, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So God, help us not to be begrudgingly or to be reluctant about, Lord, the call that you have on each of our lives. Each one of us has been called to serve. Each one of us has been called to help the least of these. James said, pure and undefiled religion is to serve the widows and the orphans. God, let this be a church that is not so focused internally, but Lord, we look externally to the the hurting, to the broken, or to those who are in need, to those who are poor, to those who are incarcerated, to those who are homeless, to those who don't have the means, God. God, help us to hear the call. Help us to hear the cry. Help us to see the need. I pray that you would slow us down, God. That as we move through our days, that as we move, Lord, at our workplaces, that as we move, Lord, in our communities, Lord, as we move, Lord, in the grocery store, the places we go out to eat, God, let our ears be open. Let our eyes be attentive. God, you were many times removed with compassion, I pray. You would move us today with compassion, Lord, to have a heart for the things of you. Touch us today, God. Help us today. 